we're we're in a point of just kind of such big transition in the career world and the creative industries where title doesn't really matter. You know, I think you were you could be an associate somewhere and a director somewhere else and then you would be called a strategist and a producer. You know, every, the titles don't matter. It's really about the skill set and about your experiences and what you've been able to do. Um, so I think that is really helpful for me to remember when I am starting to get into the comparison game. You're listening to Chats with Kat, where I catch up with my fellow millennials every week to share their journey of self-actualization, overcoming fear, and paving the way for a soul's purpose to shine through. Let's start that right here, right now. Each of us has the opportunity to change and grow until our very last breath. Happy creating. That's a quote by M.F. Ryan. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Chats with Kat. I hope you're all doing great. I am feeling extremely abundant and happy and grateful. And I feel like I'm sounding like a broken record when I say this because every time that my friends ask me how I'm doing, I that's all I have to say is just I'm grateful and I feel abundant and quite frankly, I don't really know what's going on in terms of, you know, my journey and where things are going to lead, but I have completely surrendered to the fact that I don't know and that trying and using every single day as an opportunity to get closer to building something and making people feel loved is enough. That is the only thing that I can do and that alone is what I should preoccupy my time with so I mean I don't know I feel like I've pretty much removed all negative people from my life and I mean every day you know things pop up here and there that challenge how we can perceive certain people but yeah for the most part I'm feeling pretty level-headed and I'm currently reading a book and a half a week so I feel like a boss uh I recently challenged myself to read at least one a week and I didn't realize how much time I spent on the train. So on my train rides, I've just been reading and it's helped me get through these books so much quicker. I'm thinking that I'm going to create a profile on book reads. I think that's what it's called, book reads. And just link it so that you guys can keep up with what I'm reading and then we can exchange reviews and we can talk about them. And that way, you know... You have some cool lists that uh, you could possibly jump into if you've been wanting to read a little bit more. And I have an announcement to make. So, as of recent, I've realized that I've been getting some DMs from some of you all that listen to the show. And I respond to them personally, obviously. But I think that there are some questions that could be more useful for everybody to listen to and kind of hear what I have to say about them so moving forward I'm accepting all questions through dm on instagram on twitter or via email and if I have enough questions I will actually just create a second episode throughout the week that will be dedicated solely to answering listener questions in that you know you can either 
remain anonymous or say your name or ask others for help like ask for my advice and then also be open to receiving the advice that others that are listening to the show may have but I think that's a really good way of circulating information that we could all you know benefit from so I'm not going to do it unless I have enough questions because I'm not going to spend you know a whole episode talking about one thing so I will essentially accumulate them and once I have enough or I feel like it's enough, then I'll just go ahead and release a second episode that week. So please go ahead and do that. I'm really, really excited about this and I think it would be really helpful to do so that we can all get closer and become more vulnerable, which is something you all know I'm obviously about. And I am very excited to know what you all have percolating in your beautiful brains. On that note, I want to transition over to this week's interview with Shama Rahman. She is somebody who I just met and I already love her energy. She's really, really dope. For years, she was one of the powerhouses at art institutions like the Guggenheim and the Whitney. But within the last year, she's actually transitioned into becoming one of the marketing gurus at the New York Times. She's an absolute boss. Throughout our conversation, she gave her insights into what inspires her to seek job opportunities that challenge her skill set, how art can become more accessible to underserved communities, why she doesn't sell her creations, and much, much more. As always, please listen to what I have to say. If there's anything that was said in this interview, just go ahead and share it with one of your best friends, with your mom, with your sister, with your brother, with your boyfriend, whoever. This show is all about circulating ideas, advice, information, and becoming transparent on everybody's journey. So don't keep this all to yourself. Go ahead and share it with somebody that you love. And without any further delay, let's jump into this week's chat with Shama. Hi, Shama. Thank you so much for sitting down to chat with me tonight. Thank you so much for having me, Kat. This is a pleasure meeting you. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Especially on a rainy day. Yes, especially on a rainy day. <laughs> You're sipping your latte <laughs> through your reusable straw, yes. which I love. I love that they did that. I'm so glad. No yeah. plastic straws. No plastic straws. I'm glad you're on that wave as well. We are saving the environment. Exactly. Yeah. That is what that is that is the move right there. Um, for those that are not familiar with you and what you're up to, can you give them a glimpse into who you are? Sure thing. So I currently work at the New York Times in marketing, and I work on marketing our live event series called Times Talks. And it's about you know bringing great minds from different fields like visual art, books, science, film, theater, music, um, in conversation with New York Times journalists. And I've been there for a little over a year, but most of my career so far has been in the art world. So when I was in college, I studied economics and art history and worked at the Smith College Museum of Art, which is my first love in terms of museums um, as a marketing assistant. And then I interned at MoMA, I worked at the Smithsonian when I was an undergrad, and then after college, I worked at a couple of institutions. So I worked at Art Store, um, as a marketing consultant and then at the Guggenheim as a marketing associate. That was my dream job when I was in college. So it was really exciting to work there right out of school. And then I worked at the Whitney um, as a senior marketing coordinator. And I was really interested in working at the Whitney during that particular time because it was right after the building opened. And I was 
we were prepping for um, the first biennial in the new building and just kind of all of the process of that. So the first biennial campaign in a new identity, the first biennial in like this new building by Renzo Piano on the High Line, downtown, just kind of like all of those things. I think I was so excited to work there when I did because of the timing of that. Um, And then moved over to the times mm, sounds so dope yeah, <laughs> like you've had such an amazing <laughs> career and i mean like this is really just the beginning for you yeah i feel really lucky yeah this has been beautiful so you graduated from smith college like you mentioned with a degree in econ and a minor in art history so take us on the journey of when you realized that the work that you did in the past in the art world was possible that you could fuse both of them together business and art Great question. So my, so to take it back even further, um, my family is an immigrant family from Bangladesh. We were from Queens, New York. That's where I've lived most of my life. And my parents were really excited that I was going to a liberal arts college, but they also wanted me to think about kind of post-grad and work opportunities and being practical, quote unquote. Um, And they you know, I was interested in, I was always interested in visual culture and art, but they really thought that, you know, I have also a good head for math and analytics, even though it's not something I'm particularly interested in. And so they suggested economics. And so I took some econ classes along with other um, courses, and I actually did really like it. And so that's why I pursued an econ major. It felt practical. It felt like I could get a job after college with it. And, you know, kind of halfway through my college career, I realized that I was not like the other econ students that I was around. Um, A lot of folks were interested in going into finance or going into academia, and I just felt like I wasn't fitting there. So I was talking to some mentors of mine and saying that, you know, I really loved visual art and how could I kind of combine the two? And somebody had suggested, why not try marketing? Marketing is visual, marketing is analytical. You have to, you know, kind of create materials and promote things, but also it's really steeped in research. Um, So that kind of got me thinking of like, where could I work? And that was, I guess like that at the end of my sophomore year, um, I started taking art history classes and I loved them. And there was also an opportunity to apply for a job at the Smith College Museum of Art. And so to be a marketing assistant. And that's kind of when I realized um, you could fuse the two, that you could do something that's both, you know, like practical again, but within an environment that's super creative. I think that was really exciting for me where it's like, you know, I think right now it's much more common, but back then people who are um, my peers who were studying art history, they were really interested in going in either the curatorial route or the education route or to become gallerists. You know, it felt very much like there were only a certain number of things that you could pursue if you were studying art history. And, you know, I was just kind of thinking about like, what about the other side? So when I interned at the Smithsonian as a curatorial intern, um, they had a lecture series where we talked to people from different departments. And that's when I realized, whoa, like all of these arts institutions, they're not just run by curators and educators and the director. You know, it's marketing is involved, conservation is involved, visitor services involved, operations, like all of these different people work together to make something happen. 
Um, and so it felt like marketing could be part of that. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I mean, honestly, not. I've never heard anybody talk about marketing in 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 this field. Oh, really? No. Being. I mean, most of the time, it's just like, okay, like I'm a curator. I'm this or that. So it was really interesting to see that that's what you do because that is such an important aspect of all of this but it's insidious it's like something that we don't even consider but impacts everything totally and i think the other thing is um you know having diverse voices in marketing is super important and nobody really talks about it it's like the video ads that you see are influenced by the people who make them i think you know, we all know the example of Kendall Jenner in the Pepsi commercial. Oh God, yeah. I don't know if we can talk about Pepsi <laughs> right here, but I think that's also interesting. It's like people were really wondering, like, who was in the room when yeah. that video was created, who approved it, um, and, you know, who is being represented there. So I think similarly in the museum context, it's like the people who are in all these departments, that influences what the audience member sees and the visitor sees. So if I'm there and, you know, we're casting for a photo shoot, which is what I used to do at the Whitney, which was really fun. Um, you know, I'm, I was always thinking about how do we represent um, different groups of people? How do we represent our, you know, like, like my friends, um, yeah. you know, instead of just kind of like who I was used to seeing in um, marketing campaigns for art, for the art world. Right. Um, really thinking about and also kind of balancing the it's a delicate balance between showing diverse faces and bodies and abilities and just kind of like all these different experiences and also making it so that you're not lying to the public yeah that's true i think that is a fine line that i was always thinking about where it's like yes i can have a photo shoot where everyone is a person of color and you know has like might represent queer communities and you know different abilities like we were really thinking about that i was always thinking about that but is that accurate to who's coming, you know? And also, is it accurate to the comfort level of the museum and the institution? I think that's something I'm always thinking about in marketing. And how do you analyze that? I don't think I have the answer yet. Yeah, but I think I think it's a great question. Um, I think we're always... I mean, I can't speak to any one institution because I don't work in museums anymore, but I think personally... I think representation still matters. It's only one level and it's very baseline level. There's so much work to be done that has to be, you know, kind of like deep rooted, yeah. uh, like deep institutional upheaval mm -hmm. um, in order to change what we're seeing. It can't just be representation. But I think what I try to think about is if someone sees a campaign and sees themselves there, that makes it, that's like the first step. Um, and I think that means that they feel like a little bit more welcome to go right. there. Like that's one less barrier of entry. Right. Um, so I don't think there's a perfect way to kind of, um, figure out, figure that out. I think that's a constant question, especially right. for people of color in right. institutions where it's like, you don't want to lie to your people. You don't want to lie to your communities. But at the same time, you want to create more equitable spaces. Mm -hmm. And so what are the things that we have to do to do that? Like, it's not helpful to maintain all white cast in, you know, photo shoots. Yeah. If we want to make 
space is more diverse yeah i totally agree so i guess it would be more of like um trial and error kind of like let's let's pitch this or let's put this out and see how the you know our audience responds to it and it's like well if we get a an increase a surge of new visitors that look like this that means obviously this spoke to them totally let's maybe do that a little more yeah something right and also just being conscious like i think you know with when i worked on the biennial campaign it was interesting because we included a woman in a hijab and that to me i was also thinking about my own experience like growing up in a muslim household like that would have been a huge that would have made a huge impact on me growing up so i can only think about my personal experience and also the experiences of people where i can ask them yeah but i think also thinking about that like representation of people you didn't see growing up like now being in advertisements it's like what is that you know it's like that's it's like aspirational and inspirational. Yeah. yeah. So I think I think it's like it's hard to kind of measure that thi- those things. I think that's the other thing about marketing that's so interesting. It is so qualitative and quantitative. So you have to think about the anecdotal, you have to think about visitor comments, you have to think about the audience and just kind of like what they're feeling. Um and it's not always about quantity, but at the same time it is about how many visitors are coming and can you get the data. So that mix has always been really appealing to me. And that's kind of why I wanted to go into art marketing in the first place. Yeah, that's so that's that's um, that's so interesting because that is something again, going back to like there's people behind the scenes that you don't even know. Think about these things when you go and you and you experience something like when I go to the Whitney, I don't even think that there was a group of people that that purposely chose that so that I could see that so that it could elicit uh, an emotion or a feeling so you're like what you do is very very important and it impacts it impacts us like we don't even realize it totally kudos to you for getting (laughs) in there you know one of the questions that I have is how do you think that we reach underserved communities and communities that have never really been spoken to in art in like this area or like this industry how do we reach those children those young adults to feel like they are welcomed to join and that they could also connect with the work that is being chosen for these institutions that's a great question i think we are really lucky for those of us who live in new york city that there are so many museums and i think any major um, city and metropolitan area has that i think the number one thing that has to be done is getting all of the existing education programs and all of the benefits and perks that are available to students out to the students. I think it's really more about grassroots outreach to all of the elementary schools, all the you know middle schools, high schools. I think so many you know elite schools avail these resources and there are these amazing programs where teens get paid to work at museums or there are summer programs. Um, when I worked at the Whitney, there was this amazing, you know, kind of like English as a second language um, like program. And I was thinking, I don't know anyone who availed that, you know, yeah. when they were in school. So I think it's really, there are so many amazing programs in existence and I don't think it's about increasing the programs. I think it's really just like going out and speaking the language of the people who need to hear about it and actually going into the communities and talking to them. I also think when museums and arts institutions are doing new building projects or you know, 
installing shows in certain areas, they really need to work with the community there um, before they even start construction, before they make the plans. It's like, how is this going to affect you guys? Like, you know, gentrification is a huge conversation when public art goes into certain neighborhoods or museums are expanding or move to new places. I think all of those things, it's like you have to work with those people because that's you know their community you're invading their neighborhood you know i think this is also like going back to just kind of conversations about colonization and i think conversation you know this is a bigger problem right beyond gentrification and colonization but it's like when you are entering someone's space or going to someone's land like you are invading you are disrupting what they have already built and set up so in order for it to work and for you to not like trample all over them like you have to think about their needs what they're interested in and how you can help them right not just what you want it's nice to want things it is nice to want <laughs> you things, know we have to accommodate exactly it's nice to want before. things but you can't always get that um yeah. i have a colleague who says that often and i think <laughs> about it all the time it's like it's nice to want things but you know yeah, that's an important that's an important thing to keep in mind. Yeah. Because we do we we have to move through the world gently and understand that people like certain communities already have like a homeostasis. Like they already know what works for them. Totally. And I mean, even in communities where they are think there are things that could be improved, you have to speak their language. Like yeah. you're saying you can't just go in there and be like, This is all wrong and bulldoze the whole thing and be and try to implement something because like they'll then resent whatever initiative it is. A hundred percent. So let's say there's like a teacher or somebody working in a community that's like, you know, I really think that the students here, or like the kids here need access to this. How could they then go about finding these resources? Because oftentimes I think people feel like, well, I'm just one person. Like there's nothing that I can do. I can't impact anything. If there's teachers working in a, in a school that doesn't have much of a budget or something and they feel like these kids need more, but I don't know where to turn to. On your end, having seen these programs work from the inside, what could they do to get in contact with these institutions that sometimes feel like they're so big that like there's no way that they can get in contact with anybody there? That's a great question. I mean, I think um, all of these institutions, these huge places, they all have education departments that are like waiting mm. to help schools and students. I think a number of museums have free, you know, public school tours and IDNYC is a great resource. I think there's just like, there are so many resources and I know time is strapped and it's also like, there's so much weight on these individual teachers who are serving so many students. Right. But I think it's also just telling students like, you know, it's all out there. I think for teachers um, in New York City, every institution has an education program and they are there to help you and help serve your students. So if you don't feel like they're doing that, then that's a bigger problem. Mm -hmm. And that's something that should be addressed. Got it. But I think, um, you know, there are free tours. It's about getting your students there. It's about setting it up. I know that there's like a lot of resource things, but I think, and I think if you want to create access in your classroom and maybe organizing a trip is too expensive or too much work and just not within the feasibility there are a ton of resources online where it's like 
you know, can you do 360 tours on Google of certain institutions? You know, Google Art is a big one. Mm. Um, the Google Art Project, I don't know if that's uh, Google's cultural institution, like Institute, they have 360 tours of interiors of museums. Um, I think there's New York Times is a bunch of stuff um, on their Facebook, like doing 360 tours. Uh, they're one of their biggest initiatives is like on Facebook Live to go and see kind of like hyperlapse tours of like the ballet, um, oh. going to the Met Opera, just kind of, you know, there are a lot of things there, but I think it's also like introducing, it's like, is there a student who's interested in music? Right. Maybe you should introduce them to a different kind of music that they're not used to or to go deeper into the music that they are interested in. And for visual artists, it's like if an artist, if a student loves tagging or graffiti, it's like, you know, introducing them to Basquiat and showing like this is totally possible or taking them to or showing them, you know, kind of on Hypebeast. Hypebeast right now is doing a lot of articles about fine art. And I think that is kind of a great resource where it's like that I feel like is approachable to a student who might be interested in that, but is like, I don't care about fine art, but it's like, no, everything you're doing is influenced by that. Right. So I think that also, it's like, I think more media companies and institutions and organizations are putting their stuff online. So it's also just like about Googling and searching for it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to just like, just looking for it and like, yeah. it is out there. So let's shift to you and your journey because obviously you have a lot of <laughs> industry knowledge and you, you have a lot of experience in all of this, but I'm really curious to know about your journey and what this has all felt like for you. So prior to us recording, we were talking about, you know, that you feel like you consider yourself a creative, but I'm really curious to know how you express yourself creatively and how that has impacted the way that you move within these industries and what you gravitate towards? Great question. That's a pretty weighted that's a, question. Yeah, but that's yeah. a weighted question, but we'll, we'll work through it. So I think for me, um, my creative outlets are, I love to draw and I've always loved making things. And I do that kind of on my own. Um, a lot of my friends have seen things I've made and said I should monetize it. But I think right now, you know, crafting and creating jewelry or going to a drawing class all of that is just for me mm-hmm. and it's my break from computer screens and phone screens and tv screens and just really when you work with your hands at first it's really awkward and it's not as good and then you kind of keep working and it gets better and I think one of the benefits of for me making art is you can see the improvement within one one st- like session almost yeah. you don't have to wait for the improvement that's exciting um so i think that's kind of just like my personal on my own thing um i love making jewelry but i also i'll give an example i had made these earrings from clay because i kept seeing these designs that were so beautiful but super expensive mm-hmm. online made out of ceramic so i was like let me just buy some clay online and try to do it and I thought they looked great and so I posted a picture online and everybody was so supportive but also intimidating because every you know a bunch of my friends said you have to make more of these and you have to sell them like you have to sell them you have to sell them and 
it was really exciting, but also that stopped me from making things for a long time because I was like, oh, I have to make things that I can sell. You know, it just yeah. like your mind kind of jumps yeah. instead of just appreciating that thing. Um, and I think that also is related to just social media. Whenever you put something out there, it's going to get a response. Yeah. It was both encouraging, but also intimidating, I want to say. Um, and so that's kind of like my personal outlet. But I think in a weird way, my creative outlet is relationship building. I love talking to new people. I love brainstorming ideas for people's features and their dreams and helping them figure out how to navigate kind of what they want to do. So I run um, writing workshops for creatives and artists and I help them write their artist statements, but also write their bios and help them with their resumes and, you know, cover letters or found, you know, if they're applying to something and they need a copy editor or something, I can, I'm happy to help them. So I think, and I've done that in a couple of spaces. So I worked, I did one at Mana with a friend of mine. We did a joint session where I worked on the artist statements and she worked on the grant writing aspect of it, which was really exciting. I've worked on, um, I've talked to a bunch of high school and college students about it um, who are pursuing um, visual art degrees. And I also, you know, I've done it at, like Equity Gallery, which is a nonprofit gallery and has its own membership base. And m one of the, mo the more recent ones I did was at iBeam. Mm -hmm. um, and so they had their fellows and just, it was really exciting to talk to them and see kind of the problems that they're working through in terms of like creating artist statements, especially for those who are in collectives. So what happens when it's not just your voice, but a collective voice? And that was really exciting to kind of work with them to figure out creatively how to approach that. So I think that's kind of another way that I feel like it really works my creative muscle. Mm -hmm. um, and that's those are all outside of work. And then at work, I would say one thing I love about my job is just learning new things. I think I've really been able to, like I learned how to, project manage a new website launch I worked on a rebrand with um for time stocks and that was really exciting to see like the before and after picture so to see that visuals can improve so much and design can make change make a, such a big change for a line of business that was really exciting um and then I also think just like you know for me brainstorming who we partner with um, just kind of creative relationship building. I think even when we were brainstorming before, yeah. you know, just kind of and like... It came so natural to yeah, you. Yeah, just yeah. kind of thinking like daydreaming, but also not daydreaming, right? Because it's very realistic to right. think about partners and collaborators and what are things that you can do. Um, so I think it's interesting because I don't know if people would describe relationship building as a creative practice but I think for me it definitely is I, I have to agree with that 100 percent. yeah absolutely because I mean I got a glimpse of it like I said a little <laughs> while ago and I just met you but I already felt like how did you know you need to say that to me and how did you know where I wanted to take it because I didn't verbalize that yet and I haven't made sense of it yet but it's like you're already you connect the dots very quickly and that to me it requires a creative person to have the foresight to have the vision to daydream or like even come up with a concept that has not been materialized yet. How did you know that that was 
something that you loved because it's one thing to to be creative but it's another thing to involve yourself with others and to also surrender to having your one idea and like kind of creating this mesh of of other people's perspectives and other people's ideas because you're working on designs you're working on artist statements you're working on all of these things and it's not just you it's others so at what point did you realize that "Mm, i could work with others really well to bring this thing to life that's a great question again i don't know if it happened like at a certain point i think growing up i was always super focused on my friendships and familiar relationships and almost to a fault in the beginning, um, you know, like early on, and I'm still working through this, I would, you know, kind of give up my own time and my own boundaries in order to help others. Mm. And I think I am learning to kind of not do that because I think that's a very like self-sacrificing situation. And it's almost almost like you can exhaust yourself by right. helping others and mm-hmm. then not leaving anything for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I've realized is, you know, even as my career path has changed and even as my focus has changed, like the one thing that has bonded me or the one thing that has remained interesting to me is the partnership aspect and the collaboration aspect and the relationship building aspect. So for me, I'm always working towards what can I do for the majority of my time that is focused on that? Because that is what I enjoy and what I'm good at and what I want to strengthen. Um, So I think it's more just like following that passion um, rather than it's interesting. It's like it's for a while I was trying to figure out how do I fit that into my existing job. And now I think I flipped it where it's like I'm trying to follow, make that the anchor and follow that instead of following kind of this arbitrary like trajectory marketing. Yeah, trajectory. Exactly. Yeah. Like instead of following a trajectory that I think is in existence and is what I'm supposed to do and getting better at the skills that one is supposed to be good at. I'm trying to think about how do I follow what I really enjoy and what I want to strengthen and then learn all the skills that can support that. Yeah. And then you make yourself an indispensable resource and like team player. Totally. If that's who you are because you're naturally good at it, then it's just like, well, like we know exactly who to go to for this thing. And like, that's not something that can be taught, really. This is something that's like intrinsic and like comes out of you. Yeah. But is so needed in any kind of collabor- collaborative space. It really feels like that. And I think that's also been really exciting for me to, um, you know, being diplomatic, but also learning to be tough and getting my point across, but also working with all these people. I think that has been interesting because my job at the Times is very much of a messenger, you know, between departments, working collaboratively, making sure that um, my team is taken care of, but that the people that I work with on other teams every single day are still on my team, you know? So I think it's also interesting where it's like, Time Stocks has its own team, but then I'm working with creative services, I'm working with our project manager, I'm working with the newsroom, I'm working with... Um, you know, our outside collaborators, all these companies. And so to make sure that everyone 
feels taken care of, but that our needs are also being met. Because at the end of the day, I have goals for my team. So I have to make sure that I'm meeting those and I'm making my teammates feel secure and my boss feel, you know, like we're on the right path. Right. But at the same time, I'm so cognizant of the fact that everyone I work with is a human being and I cannot force people to do things that are impossible. I think sometimes one thing that I've realized is really you can push and push and push, but what is the result? Like, you know, is it necessary? Is it causing extra anxiety for someone when it doesn't have to? Mm -hmm. Is it causing stress when it doesn't have to? Are you pushing for something that doesn't need to be pushed for? You know, so it's like, for example, if a deadline has been pushed to like a week later um, and everyone on my team is saying, push it back, push it back. It's like, who am I fighting in order to get that done? You know, so it's like, and then at the end of the day, if I spent all of my time fighting and the difference ends up being like a day or two, you know, is that productive? Right. Like, I, so I think it's also just like, I am super, super cognizant all the time of the fact that everyone I talk to and everyone I work with is human. And I think that's kind of missing right now from the world. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean we can all, you know, get work done, but we also can get more work done as long as we consider the fact that everybody has a fe- has feelings, everybody has their own opinion and, you know, as soon as, as soon as we accommodate that, I think we can move the needle a lot faster, push it forward a lot faster. So you shifted from working in the art world to now working in media. How has that transition been like for you um, and how have you been able to transfer over the knowledge that you attained in the other industry in the New York Times, which is, I'm sure, so different (laughs) in a lot of ways. Um, So one thing I will say is that because I worked in marketing and I specifically chose marketing when I was in college for this very reason, Um, I was worried about getting a job in the art world. The art world is a very small community and it's not one that has like you know, 50 openings for recent graduates in a marketing department across the board, right? So I was really open to if I can get any marketing job, I'll just take it, you know? So I think that also was a good mindset to keep in mind. I've always been super open to the skill set of skill set involved in marketing and not just art marketing. Um, so when I worked at the Whitney, I had just kind of realized that I'd worked at, you know, I had been super privileged to work at three of the museums that I love most. And I didn't really have um, another art institution that I wanted to go to necessarily right after that. What I was looking for was, because marketing is so diverse and transferable, I really wanted to leave the art world for a little bit and gain some knowledge um, from other fields and also gain a skill set from just marketing in a for-profit environment. So that's why I wanted to move over to the Times. And the way I've translated it, luckily, so what I do for the New York Times is marketing for their live events programs and their cultural programs. So it is live journalism. A lot of it is film, music, art, books, etc., which are all kind of interrelated to the art world. Um, So I think that's also interesting where it's not 
I'm not working with artists anymore, but I am working with artists, you know? So I'm not working with visual artists and performance artists necessarily, but I'm working with artists in their own right um, and working with their teams and upholding kind of their creative vision. We're still promoting kind of like an artistic product. So whether it's a play or a film or a book coming out or even in, you know, a visual artist, a huge one, we have... um, if there's an exhibition related to that. So I think that's also kind of um, interesting. Um, So I think it is definitely related and also very related to my first job at the Guggenheim where I was working on marketing for public programs. So those programs were different in terms of who they were hosting, but it's still a live event. Right. So I think that definitely translated. Hmm. I think I'm always thinking about in marketing how, you know, you're still – in any job you have with marketing, you are promoting something to an audience. And how are you going to translate what you're what you're promoting to appeal to them? Right. So whether you're promoting toothpaste or an art exhibition or a community space or a co-working, you know, I mean, like all of these different things it's still, you have to appeal to a human being. Mm-hmm. It always dials back to that. Totally. Always. It's always about the human being. I really think like that to me, I try to come back to that as often as I can every day. Yeah. Um, and also it really centers me because I think we are in a moment where everybody's comparing themselves to their peers. I do it all the time. Um, and we're always thinking about titles promotions money and fame and followers and you know kind of cultural capital social capital and everyone's human you know I think even the people that we look up to and think oh wow their life looks so amazing or they're so successful and they're so financially sound I mean those folks are still suffering from other things that you don't see they're dealing with a lot of things that we don't see and just being empathetic about that. Um, I think also realizing that everyone's on their own timeline is really helpful. So there are people who, you know, have super successful careers early on, and then maybe they need to take a break because they're burnt out. Yeah. Or they build a foundation for themselves so that they can have freedom later. And other times people have, you know, career trajectories where, you know, from the outside, it might seem like they're slowly building and then they get like the opportunity of a lifetime. Exactly. I think it's really just like being aware that we're all kind of on our own paths and not like running a race where it's like you're comparing yourself to the person next to you. It's not a race. Life is not a race. I absolutely agree with that. But I think so often people, when they're in the midst of that, when they're in like those anxious moments where they see like that photo and they're like, oh crap, like she's doing that and we graduated at the same time and whatever, whatever the case may be, they don't know how to get out of it. So, I mean, I find myself in those moments all the time and typically what I'll do is just like turn off all my electronics and just like go meditate or like go read a book and like, or go have ice cream or something. Like just do something that reminds me that the present is the only thing that matters. But for you, when you find yourself in those moments, how do you center yourself? I delete all of the social media on my apps. (laughs) I also do the same thing. Sometimes if I feel super anxious, I will make a list of all the things I'm grateful for. Um, I'll call a friend. I think for me, I'm lucky that 
since I do put so much effort and emphasis on my relationships with other people, especially my platonic relationships with friends, um, I feel like I always have someone to turn to because they know that they can turn to me. And also in a way that it feels like I like listening to other people talk about themselves when I feel like I need to be distracted. So that's also helpful. Um, Yeah, I think just like being making a list of what I'm thankful for, but also like kind of tracking my own growth. So, for example, I didn't really cook or grocery shop like until about a year ago. You know, my first couple of years when I had moved out of my parents' house was very much a takeout driven time of my life. (laughs) Um, And I just was eating not great, not eating, you know, and I just like wasn't, and I was almost embarrassed to cook. So I didn't really cook for myself and definitely would never have cooked for anybody else. (laughs) And recently a friend of mine came over, a new friend, which I was also kind of nervous about, and she's a good cook. And I was making lunch and I was like, you know, if you want to grab anything when you're going out, feel free to do so. But I'm just going to make this. And she was like, can I eat with you? And I was like, oh, I have to cook for you, too. (laughs) You know, and she said it was great. So I think also that is like that's another form of growth. Right. Like a year ago, I definitely would not have like one cooked for myself or cooked for someone else. So I think also just appreciating the growth that is not measurable by society society and your resume and social media I think that's so important to kind of see and another thing is I've had jobs in the past and kind of periods of my life where I was so anxious about work that I used to dread the weekend you know or I would dread Sundays all day and then dread Monday morning and already feel behind by Monday morning and that's such a dangerous place to be with your anxiety And so to be in a place right now where I don't feel that way, I really try to make the most of my weekends and do stuff for myself, do stuff with friends, have activities. And also on Monday, kind of know that I'm starting the week instead of already feeling behind by the time I get to the office. Right. So I think that is also a huge point of growth for me that I don't think anyone would be able to see from the outside. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, you know, also it's like our mental health and mental well-being that's huge yeah um it is yeah so i mean i think that you know you've been in these industries that are super competitive and it could be obviously super easy to fall into like a hole of competitive or comparison and and feeling like some people just want to climb that ladder and they'll be they'll do whatever they need to do to get there so within this whole landscape career and you know having friends and knowing people that are like growing exponentially and doing all of that um have you ever found yourself i mean this could also echo exactly what you said now but have you ever found yourself in a place where you've questioned what you're doing and have been tempted to modify your your what you're doing and then if you didn't and you were able to silence that voice how did you do that and say hey what I'm doing right now is fine, even though it's not the same as everybody else's. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I have definitely, definitely felt that way. I think one of the kind of more 
um, one of the silliest but also more tangible examples of that is my job title. So I went from being a marketing associate to a senior marketing coordinator to an associate marketing manager. So I am like, you know, I was like, oh my God, it's like dragging, dragging, right? I'm not getting like the promotions that people talk about where it's like, oh, from a marketing associate to a marketing manager to an associate director to a marketing director. You know, it's like there are kind of those things that people measure you by, you know, in quotations. But I think what has helped me silence that is that when I look at, you know, some of the projects that I worked on at the Whitney as a senior marketing coordinator are projects that in other locations I might have had to be an assistant director or a marketing director to do, you know? And even with the times, my title is associate marketing manager, but I'm basically the only, I'm the only marketing person on our, in our department. And I'm the one taking all these meetings with, you know, kind of, um, like working with the New York Times Instagram team or working with if I'm trying to secure a marketing partnership, I'm the one doing that. And in other places, it would be a high level marketing director doing that. So I think just being really, you know, so for in that sense, I'm always trying to remind myself it's like it's not the title of the position though a a title that reflects what you do is essential and helpful but I think it's like in different contexts that looks really different you know if I had stayed at the Guggenheim and kind of worked my way up and had a higher title than associate marketing manager would I have gotten all of this experience that I have gotten by working at the Whitney and at the New York Times maybe not right or maybe so you know I don't know but from my perspective, it was like the best thing that I did. So it's more so about focusing on experiences yes. and skills and, and building skills than it is about what you look like to others or whatever. Totally. And I also think right now we're in a place where we're in a point of just kind of such big transition in the career world and the creative industries where title doesn't really matter. You know, I think you are you could be an associate somewhere and a director somewhere else. And then you would be called a strategist and a producer, you know, every, the titles don't matter. It's really about the skill set and about your experiences and what you've been able to do. Um, so I think that is really helpful for me to remember when I am starting to get into the comparison game. I think also for me, because I have all these varied interests, Like, I love to write. I love to edit other people's work. I love making my own artwork. Um, I love talking to people. I love, you know, I've I've done some public speaking engagements. And it's really easy when you compare yourself in those individual categories to people who are doing that more prominently. Yeah, that's true. You know, because Mm -hmm. it's it's like that's everywhere yeah but at the same time those are folks who are focusing on a couple of areas and don't have maybe um you know all the other things that you're working on during the day so I think it's also just remembering that context like uh you know with through my job at the New York Times what's interesting is this is the first time I've worked on a sub product that's under a main umbrella so I don't work on 
just marketing for the New York Times. I work on marketing for Times Talks under the New York Times. Mm -hmm. When I worked at the Whitney and the Guggenheim, I was working for the whole institution. So even though I'm working for the sub-brand, though, I got to work on a rebrand, like I mentioned. I worked on a website project. I'm working on a book project right now. I worked on a festival. You know, I learned how to sell tickets. I've never known how to do that before, you know, like actually earning profit and making revenue. Um, I've worked on partnership deals. I've worked on, you know, like kind of doing pop-ups. So I think all of that stuff is so cool. And I would never have known that that was a possibility if I had stayed in the art world. Um, So I think that was also really exciting. It's like, um, and, you know, it's also like for me right now, So one of the big reasons that one of my big goals of moving out of the art world was like really creating and fostering relationships with people who worked in other industries, just so I could also explore for myself, like what's out there. Yeah. And that was really exciting to kind of see like, what do film companies do? You know, I, I never paid attention when I used to see like 20th Century Fox, you know, kind of like that. Um, like the pre-roll before the film starts. It's yeah. like, who cares about that? But it's like, what do they do? Mm-hmm. You know, how big are they? What are they producing? Um, I, yeah, so I think even just like learning about that stuff, like Sony Music, you know, record labels. Like, I think that's also cool. It's like, what goes into that? Yeah, um, staying curious. Totally. I think staying curious is really why, how I've, you know, managed to get to a point of peace about my career at this point because I don't have maybe the title that people might expect of someone for me with like how much experience I have. Um, but the projects I get to do are so cool. I get to work with really amazing people and I feel like I'm way more open to opportunity um, work-wise than I was before. I think also when I worked in the art world, I always felt this pressure of, okay, I have my nine to five and I absolutely need to have something outside. And when I switched to this job, um, I made a conscious decision not to do that for the first year um, because I had you know, a lot of big projects going on at work. I really wanted to focus and see like, okay, what does it look like if I just kind of dedicate myself to this? And I don't regret it at all. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So we could continue talking forever. Totally. Because you are (laughs) great. But I want to sum it up with one question. And that's if there was one message that you could get out to the world, what would it be? It's, It's always a toughie. So tough. Okay. I think everyone who's listening should reflect on how much they've grown you know just kind of periodically so it's like reflect on I guess like my message would be reflect on your own growth um, periodically and make note of that so that you I guess I guess like what I want to say is like really just focus on yourself you know do you because no one else is going to do it for you and also no one is going to track your growth and reflect on all the things that have changed as much as you do you have you you will I think it's really just like do it for yourself and do it for your mental peace because if you 
don't encourage yourself and don't reflect on that, I don't think you can really move forward. I think in order to move forward, you have to reflect and look back and just kind of make note of like all of your progress. Celebrating that is super important. Absolutely. I second that. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So I'm sure everybody's going to want to follow you now and like see what you're up to. So where can they keep up with you online? I am so bad at updating things, but okay. Or what projects can they look forward to? You know what? You can follow me on Instagram at Shama underscore Rahman. But really, in order to know what I'm up to, you can just email me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so open to kind of talking to people and helping strangers. So if you are a good sleuth and you go on my Instagram, there is somewhere to find my email address. So this is a a good challenge. I love it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. If you want to contact her, you can, but you got to work for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for this. This is a great chat. Thank you, Kat. As Shama mentioned, you can go ahead and stalk her on Instagram to find her email, which is the best way to get in contact with her. If you have any questions, if you'd like to share an idea with her or if you want to, you know, get some feedback on anything. So as always, thank you for listening. I'm sending you all lots of love, light, good vibes, and we will chat next week. That was this week's episode. I really hope you all enjoyed it. If there's anything you'd like to chat about, send an email to cat at catlantigua.com and I will make sure to get back to you. You can keep up with me in between episodes by following cat.lantigua on Instagram and heading to catlantigua.com to opt in to receive my weekly newsletters. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'm sending you all lots of love, light, and good vibes. We'll chat next week.